You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Luis Robert Jr. is the lone representation of the White Sox in the All-Star Game. Luis Robert Jr. goes to the Home Run Derby. And now Luis Robert Jr. is day-to-day with an injury suffered while swinging at baseballs trying to get home runs in an exhibition. That's so White Sox. I don't like the Home Run Derby, Ed. Uh, What what don't you like about (laughs) it? Listen, I thought it was bad. I enjoyed Luis Robert Jr. I was tweeting when it was happening. But let let me just set the scene for you. I tell my youngest kid that we're going to sit down and watch the Home Run Derby. The the two older kids, the teenagers, are 17 and 15. They're at Great America. They got season passes. They they were gone, right? And I got the little guy. And I'm like, buddy, we're going to watch Luis Robert Jr. go out and win the Home Run Derby. I poured myself a little bourbon, made some popcorn for the two of us, got him a soda pop, sat down on the couch. You know, there was a moment that's completely separate from the derby that I just don't understand. The thing is geared towards children. I have no idea why that Dracula commercial with the the bat with the giant teeth is eating people on my screen. But if we're gearing it towards kids, maybe that's a commercial ad by ESPN shouldn't put in the middle of that. You know? Well, but that's that's on ESPN. That has nothing to do with the Derby itself. Well, like, the kid was up three times last night because he's he's wondering whether or not that's a real thing, and he's eight years old. So thanks a lot for that, because I, I you know you want little kids to sit there and watch it, and it is a reasonable thing to expect kids to watch. And I have no idea why it was on there, but forget that. But but, but again, that's that's also on ESPN, who kept referring to uh, uh, Luis Robert as a Cuban national player and forgetting that the White Sox existed. They didn't know what uniform he had on. I, I'm going to tell you something right now. I hate ESPN. I hate ESPN with a passion. I haven't liked their programming for years. I don't like everything that's about them. And and I personally never watch them. I actually downloaded an app and did a seven-day trial just to watch ESPN, to watch the Home Run Derby. And then I canceled the app and moved on. Like, that's, that's how I watched that last night. I don't want anything to do with them, and I stream everything that I do, and I don't keep ESPN around. I really don't. If the White Sox, for some reason, are on ESPN, I go up to a bar normally and I watch the game. I just dislike everything about them, and they've never been kind to my team, and they're always forgetting them, so I'm really just an ESPN hater. But the thing that I hated about the Derby, though, was that it was impossible for my kid to follow what was going on, and that's what I hated about it. Like, I get that they wanted to, like, pump it up and make it more exciting over the last couple of years, but there are times when there are three baseballs in the air, and you can't tell which one is going where. You're not following anything that's going on the screen. He can't tell what's happening. He keeps asking me, like, did that go out? Did that not go out? I'm like, I don't know. Because it's a it's a split screen of swings and a split screen of balls going in different directions. And it's just so hard to follow. And, and, and the worst thing about it is it really has just become a contest of just your endurance, right? Like, Luis Robert Jr. and Julio Rodriguez of Seattle were the two best guys out there. You know that from watching the first round. They were the oh, two yeah. best oh, guys yeah, yeah. out there. Luis Robert Jr., there, you get a bonus ball if you had two of them over 440 feet. I think he had 10 of them over 440 feet. He had the longest one of the night. Yeah, I think he had one 480. Yeah, his fifth home run was the longest one of the night. He was putting on a show. That's what the home run derby is all about. But I couldn't see any of the majestic home runs that he had. 
I couldn't tell which swing produced which home run because of the rapid fire. Like, they used to have a rule that you didn't throw the ball until the other ball had landed. They have obviously thrown that rule right out the window. That didn't even exist last night. So you can't tell what's happening. It's just a hodgepodge. There was a kid who basically got brained by a baseball in the outfield. I saw that. I saw the kid laying down, holding their head. Think about how barbaric that is. Like the show goes on, balls are flying, they're they're landing next to the kid whose whole face is swollen up because he didn't he didn't catch a 110 mile an hour hit that hit him right in the face. We didn't even know it was happening because that's how rapid everything is going. It was just it's crazy to me, but the thing that really stuck to me was I'm trying to show a little kid that I want to get in a baseball, the home run derby, and he couldn't follow what was going on. Well, it's because they changed the rules. Well, but here's the thing. Like, if you want to do that rapid fire thing in the first round, go for it. Right? You want to wheel it down to the final four? Great. Then slow it down for crying out loud. Slow it down. Change the rules for rounds two and three. Because one, I'd understand it better. And two, the better hitters may have advanced. Because Luis Robert Jr. was gassed. I mean, how about this? Why not just do the first round the way that you did it, right? And then have like, you know, I don't know, Fall Out Boy comes out and does a song. Well, no, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It, it's it's it, the, the, the banners aren't even the problem, right? Luis Robert Jr. wasn't necessarily gassed. You know who was gassed was Luis Sierra, his man, the, 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 the pitcher for yeah, him. Yeah, give right? him another pitcher in there. Well, and that's that's kind of what I think started to happen to uh, to, to Julio Rodriguez in, the, in that, too, is his pitcher. They were they were talking about how great his batting you know, pitcher, his, you know, his, his, his batting practice pitcher is there. Because he's not using his legs, he's just kind of flipping the ball up there. But he couldn't do it in that second round because he had thrown 45 pitches in the first round. These are not pitchers that are throwing. These are like old men. These are coaches. These are guys that are not used to doing this. And they take – and, and I'm sorry, but if you've ever been a pitcher and at any level – you know that if you take a long time off, your arm starts to get stiff and sore because it's not a natural motion what you're doing. So the rapid fire thing, I love it for the first round, but you're right. I missed in the in the last two rounds, I missed the old, you have so many strikes, you have so many misses. It either goes out or it's an X. Yes. You know? Yes. Because it slowed it down and it, they were selective and you could watch. You could. Watch. I remember watching back when it was like Sosa and McGuire and all the Royd guys. And you could see them like trying to hit it out of the park instead of being like, all right, I just got to get this one like a 30 degree angle with like maybe like 99 on it to try and get it out over the wall because I need an extra home run. Right. Well, that's the thing. That was fun to somebody who just cares about launch angle and stats. It wasn't for somebody who just likes watching the majesty of a ball that's been absolutely crushed because you didn't get to see that, right? You're not actually getting to see these impressive moments and these huge bombs going off because they're just rapid fire flying through things. And and the last at bats, the championship was wor- was the worst round. Oh, by far. It was a hodgepodge of crap where somebody finally got crowned champion. It's just it's such a bad format for if you're trying to get somebody excited about the idea of doing a home run derby. You know, they should run through that first round. You want to do that fine. Have a break then. Have something else happen. Come up with something that gives 20 minutes. Allow them to have more than one batting practice pitcher because you're right about that. When I went to the to the rate last month and I was a guest of Cork and Carry at the park, the proud sponsors 
of Socks in the Basement in the in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton. You heard their ad at the beginning of the show. You know, all the, the beers, the wines, the spirits, the bar indoor, the outdoor, uh, just a great place to gather before and after the game. Dad and I were there even before we went up to the Guaranteed Ray Club back on Friday night and tried to drink the entire bar. And trust me, Saturday, I felt it because I tried to drink the entire bar. But I started over at the Cork. But when I was over at the Raid as a guest of Cork and Kerry, and I got to take batting practice with all the other folks that were guests there at the ballpark that day. They changed batting practice pitchers constantly. Poor Dan Pasco was out there throwing, and he needed, he was just done at some point. And then he didn't come back. Like they, they, they had to rotate out batting practice pitchers who weren't under the pressure of what's going on at the home run derby. They're just throwing 10 pitches and then they got to wait for somebody to get their helmet on and get their bat and walk in and they get the rest and everything else like that. No, no, no. It was nothing close to that. And those guys were all gassed. They had a line of batting practice pitchers just for the people who were guests that day at the ballpark. And you're right. It was the pitchers getting worn out. It was the players' arms turning into spaghetti and it was the rapid fire that you couldn't follow and that was the flaw in it. In my mind, Luis Robert Jr., was the most impressive hitter at the Home Run Derby on Monday night. He was the best. Even Rodriguez, with what he was doing, when they showed his chart, all he did was just hit him right down the line. He was going for the shortest part of the ball field with with line drives and going for just numbers. The guy who was the impressive, just, oh my goodness, what am I watching, was Luis Robert Jr., It was Adley Rushman with the switch hitting thing. And then Luis Robert Jr. walked in and said, hold my beer and I'm going to make everybody who's rooting for you just feel sad and leave 50 seconds still on the clock after I go over you. In typical White Sox fashion, Luis Robert Jr. said, hold my beer, but there was nobody there to hold his beer. He had to wait till the second round when Jorge Soler finally was like, can somebody help my mans out here a little bit? Let me go get him a towel. Exactly. He had no support there either, right? Like you just saw him standing off to the side. It would have been nice if there would have been another White Sox representative there so he would have had somebody to kind of pal around with that was going to take care of him like Vlad Guerrero Jr. had Bo Bichette. Let's talk about this draft. It's a very Rick Hahn draft. Oh, I'm intrigued by that comment. I'm pretty sure everybody listening is as well. This look at the 2023 MLB draft and what the White Sox did brought to you by Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. Four exterior window doors, patio doors, and storm doors. Go to Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. No high-pressure sales. They're not in your house. You're in their showroom. Full examples, glass designs on display. You're not looking at pictures in a book. The owner's in the showroom. You can get all your questions answered. There's an owner on site, including all their own workers. They're not farming the work out. They're going to make sure they do this right. 40 years they've been doing it like that in Oak Forest since 1985 with all major brands custom made no stock items for a perfect fit. They are one half block east of 159th and Ridgeland. Check them out. Make them your first stop. They'll probably be your only stop. 6280 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. Why is it a very Rick Hahn draft? You didn't like the first pick? Actually, I like Jacob Gonzalez. I like the first pick, okay? And, I, and 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 I'm not really here to sit there and say that I think I know better than Rick Hahn that any of these guys are going to work out or not work out. But here's what I'm seeing, okay? Jacob Gonzalez in the first round looks like a good, solid pick. He's from Ole Miss. He was part of their championship team in 2022. He's a left-handed batter. He's a middle infielder. Looks like a solid prospect. It's not even a reach. He was ranked 18th. They took him at 15. 
that's pretty good. And you know what? And the thing I liked about him was in the write-up I saw in CBS Sports, he was a potential top five pick entering the spring that, you know, because of his track record against good competition, he's a college player and he plays short. And I love guys that play short because if they don't work out a short, they're a second baseman, they're a third baseman, they're playing center field. You can normally move that guy anywhere. And MLB suggested he's a third baseman, second baseman, really probably by, by nature. But the issue that I had was that he never took the step this last season in his development to actually end up being a top five pick. So we got a guy who has the potential but now this means that Mike Shirley went and got a guy with potential that's polished because he played in college and he's a good athlete because he's an up-the-middle player that plays short right now, but he still needs to be developed more, and that's the thing we suck at. You really just kind of led straight into what I'm talking about. Jacob Gonzalez was trending when he was part of the 2022 Ole Miss College World Series champions, was trending towards being a top-five pick. And then he wasn't because Ole Miss sucked this year. They were terrible, and their entire team took a step backwards. Grant Taylor, the second-round pick from LSU, who just had Tommy John surgery, by the way, was trending towards a first-round pick, was ranked 102nd going into the actual draft because of the Tommy John and because of the uncertainty around his injury. Seth Keener, you know, take it a little bit higher than he should be. Projects to be a reliever, somebody that the White Sox can do what they do best, which is bring a guy straight into the majors because they don't ever want to actually develop guys. But I'll get back to him. Calvin Harris, the catcher on Ole Miss, again, had a better season in 2022 when they were in the World Series. Christian Auper, it turns out that he, you know, he's a project. He's a guy, this is the fifth round pick. He's a project. He's a guy that's got potential. And then he goes out and he, you sort of discover that he really, really has a lot of things that he needs to work on. And that's why he's ranked 225th by the MLB. All these guys seem to have had better potential in 2022 coming out of, of where they were for last year's draft and where they were projected to go if they took the next step. And they're all guys that seem to have not improved this past year and have walked in with question marks. It, it, it almost feels like Rick Hahn does what kind of you and I have talked about, right? He goes to make a trade. He looks at what's obvious and what's in front of him, right? And or looks at what somebody said about this guy once upon a time. So Yohan Moncada was the top prospect in baseball. Projected to be this all-world guy, right? Projected to be a middle infielder, potentially. Proje you know, all these projections gets him, and he's not that, but they don't develop him, right? So this just, it's starting to feel like a very Rick Hahn draft because I like Jacob Gonzalez. I think he has a chance to be a good player. He's polished. He's a guy that had better potential before he showed that he couldn't take a next step this past year. His first four picks... Gonzalez, Grant Taylor, Seth Keener, Calvin Harris all seem to have a storyline behind them of, but you should have seen them last year. Okay, but here's the thing. You call it a very Rick Hahn draft, and I call it a very White Sox draft. Because first of all, Mike Shirley, from what I understand, after talking to James Fox of Future Sox, is making these picks, or at least has the loudest voice in the room. That's the guy being relied upon. Now, it does smack of Rick Hahnness. Right, it does. But it really the, does. Rick Hahn is the GM. I, I get right? that. And, and 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 how long have have Han and Shirley been doing this? Together? You're right. Rick Hahn could be rubbing off on Mike Shirley, and it could just be like the feeling in the entire front office, which is why I think the entire front office should be flushed, much like Pedro Grafal says after most of his losses, we got to flush this one. They should flush the entire front office and him along with it. 
I think it's pretty obvious at this point. We're starting off the second half 16 games under. We're going to need a really big toilet. We need a giant toilet, but we need it, and we need to use it now before we get to these trades. These guys shouldn't be making this move. I, I don't understand why it's not being announced during the All-Star break that the White Sox are going in a different direction and getting rid of Rick Hahn. I mean, let's be honest. When you have Ozzie Guillen on the postgame talking about how it's not working in the front office and something needs to change, and then you got Chuck, who works for a, a station owned by Jerry Reinsdorf. I mean, you are never going to get that group to be the first ones to say that somebody's bad. They defended LaRusa until a week before LaRusa was gone. And then when they knew he was leaving, all of a sudden they joined the rest of us saying that he was bad for the team. But they defended him right up until then. So when I hear them sitting there saying like, oh, I want to see some accountability in the front office, I go, oh man, maybe Rick Hahn is leaving. Like I had this vision of like, maybe they were actually going to bounce him. Didn't you just sort of feel like, oh wow. That's how it felt. But at some point it's got to move. But it might not be a Rick Hahn draft. It might be a White Sox draft. It also feels a lot like Kenny. Kenny Williams doesn't like prospects. That's why you got a lot of college guys. College guys are more more, uh, polished. And they're also something that's more valuable. And they're either going to make it to the majors or he's going to move them. That, that, that smacks a Kenny Williams to me. That, that Kenny was always a guy who always got his guy. That's why Ken Griffey Jr. was on this team at the end of his career, and we all heard that, like, he's a White Sox. No, he isn't. He was never white. Did you see him in a White Sox uniform when he was out there and, and during the home run derby? I didn't see him in one of those. If somebody mentioned to him that he used to play for the White Sox, he'd giggle. He'd be like, yeah, yeah, for, for a cup of coffee, kid. I really don't even think about it anymore. But Kenny always had to get, he got the two Alomars. Like, that's what he does. So it felt Kenny-ish to me as well. It felt very White Sox-ish. So I know you're like, Rick had one, and you got great points. But I also feel like it's a very White Sox draft to me. You know, it, well, and, and again, this is, this is I think, part of my, my problem with Rick Hahn then, too, is if Rick has a different vision for this, and, and, and if, if, if we sit here and do a 180 on Rick Hahn, and give him the benefit of the doubt and say that his vision is better. Maybe his vision is more along the lines of Colson Montgomery and Noah Schultz, a couple of high school kids, right, that he's got to bring along slowly. If that's what's going on, then then shame on Rick Hahn for not having a better voice with this. And maybe he just likes Jacob Gonzalez, too, and that's certainly a possibility. Now, I will say one of the things I noticed as I'm looking back at drafts, right, because I've always had this kind of thought narrative that, you know, the problem with the Sox this year, too, was they didn't hit on enough draft choices. And I don't think that that's fair because when you're looking at draft choices that make it to the majors, the Sox actually do pretty well with getting guys from the draft to make appearances in the major league. They don't always make a good splash. They're not always stars. And you you get situations like with the Guardians where, with the exception of Cal Quantrill, every starting pitcher the Guardians have used this year, and they've had injuries, so they've had to use a lot, has been a draft choice of theirs. And and it's ranged from Shane Bieber, who's really, really good, to Hunter Gaddis, who is probably a guy that the White Sox would have as their number two starter on most years. But you have a lot of guys that come up, but you look at, at, at the draft picks and what they've been able to do with them. Tim Anderson, Carlos Rodon, Carson Fulmer, Zach Birdie, Zach Collins, Jake Berger, Nick Madrigal, Andrew Vaughn, Garrett Crochet are varying levels of good and bad at baseball, but they all kind of have one thing in common, and that is is that they didn't spend really hardly any time in the minors after they were drafted. Collins spent the most time. He spent three years. Everybody else, Berger notwithstanding too because of the injuries, but everybody else was about two years from start to finish. And you wonder with Jacob Gonzalez if that is the plan. That why, did, why do we have a left-handed hitting middle infielder? 
What do the White Sox need? Left-handed hitting middle infielder. So do we expect Jacob Gonzalez to be fighting for a job next year in 2024? Maybe, you know, making his major league debut for good in 2025? You think he's a develop at the major league type player who will just never reach his full potential and you'll sit around and wonder what he could have been if they could have given him a couple of years because they need that's the only way they're going to fill a hole? Yeah. I'm already making my plans to get to Hailstorm Brewing Company this weekend out in Tinley Park. Live music every Friday and Saturday night. Friday night, Smiley Tillman Band. That's a good one. The big thing is, though, when I get out there, whether it be on the weekend or during the weekday, for lunch, they have a great kitchen at Hailstorm now. The smoked chicken wings are not only great, they're not only featured in several places, including Chicago's Best, they're also reasonable. I've been in a few places where they're like 20-some dollars for like six wings. No, no, no. These are, first of all, ginormous, and secondly, at a great price. And I'm planning on trying the pork pastrami panini when I get out there, and Flight of Dips is back. Flight of Dips. That sounds a lot like if the White Sox front office was on a plane together. Strawberry Summer is on tap. It's a strawberry lemon kolsch. It's a real working brewery with a beautiful tap room and a large German-style beer hall and an outdoor patio. Make your way to the official brewery of Socks in the Basement. Open now for lunch at 11 a.m. Tuesday through Sunday, 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue in Tinley Park. Meanwhile, Ed is like ruining the draft for me with that. Yeah, pretty much. I don't want a, a Kenny Williams draft, and I, I don't want a Rick Hahn draft. I want a Larry Himes draft. Jack McDowell, Frank Thomas, Rob Oh, yeah. You know, he was only around for four years because he was capable at his job. That's why they moved on from him. Uh, We have a a comment that was sent to us I wanted to read to you today. And just because I loved it. Because it's the one guy out there who's wearing White Sox stuff and is feeling positive. And I I just, I wanted to read this because this, this right here is fandom, folks. This is the kind of thing that makes me feel bad when I sit there and I say that this team is sunk because they're 16 games under and they're run terribly and everybody needs to be fired. And I feel bad because it hurts Jeff here. Jeff wrote, I'm as discouraged as anybody with this Sox team. But remember, one, they had the easiest schedule in the second half. Two, they are currently eight games out. Three, the 1978 Yankees were 14 games back in mid-July and went on to win the World Series. Four, The 1995 Mariners were 11 games back in August, yet made the playoffs. Five, there's a lot of these here, but I'm reading them all. The 2012 A's were 13 games back June 30th and made the playoffs. Six, the 2006 Twins were nine and a half back August 1st and won the division. Yeah, because of the White Sox. (laughs) There's a big old asterisk next to that one, but keep going. Okay, I know it's unlikely, and this team has shown no signs of finally putting it all together, but it is possible. Jerry quit on the team only three and a half games out in 1997 and okayed the white flag trade. As fans, let's not be so hasty to quit. Jeff, I love you. I love you, Jeff. You're the reason why I sit there every once in a while and say, maybe, maybe something will happen here. I mean, I want it to happen. I do. I had so much fun on Friday night with Dad, but I look at it as it's a it's just one game. It was a game where just everything happened. But when you see them after that game on Friday night where they score, it's almost like you know as a White Sox fan it's going to be a low-scoring affair and they're probably going to fall flat the next night. They never put any momentum together. 
And I don't know if that's coaching or just the players you have in there aren't ball players, and they just don't have the right mentality, but there's something wrong. And that's not going to get fixed all of a sudden. See, that's the thing. There was something special on any one of those teams that you mentioned. They may have had something go wrong for them, but there was something special that created those those fleeting moments. I mean, you had to find a 1978 team, a team in 1995, a team in 2012, and a team in 2006. That's four teams over the course of over 40 years. So, yeah, you could find those, but there was something in those teams. I don't think this team has that, and they definitely don't have the manager for it, and they definitely don't have the smarts in the front office to pull off what they need to pull off. So that's why. But I I love the positive. I absolutely love it. I was mad at the white flag trade because I thought they had a chance to make it to the postseason. I hated the white flag trade. If we were in that situation with that team right now and, and that trade happened, I'd be screaming that it was wrong to give up. 16 games under 500. With the, with the Guardians finally figuring it out a little bit, that's the team that's going to end up winning the division. And they're, they're going to win it walking away. You watch in the second half. The, the the big problem I have with the idea that this White Sox team could still turn that around is there's there's a fatal, fatal flaw with the roster construction, and that is the rotation isn't deep enough. It's, it's not good enough. Even if you hold on to Giolito and Lance Lynn, you have four starters. You don't really have a fifth starter. You don't have anybody to take their place if things go bad, if you have a couple of guys get injured, if you need to give somebody a break. And you don't have an ace. I, I love Dylan Cease. I, I, I would be absolutely beyond pissed off if he got traded You know, at, at this point. But Dylan Cease doesn't have that thing that aces do where they can carry they can carry the team for a while. They can shut a team down. He can do ace-like things. He has ace stuff. But when he does that, he only pitches five and a third, maybe six. You know, we're, we're poisoned in this in this modern era of baseball to thinking that's being an ace. No, an ace goes out and, and pitches eight to nine. You got to look at like what Justin Verlander does when he's at the top of his game and goes seven or eight innings, right, and shuts guys down gets deep into games. None of the White Sox pitchers do that. Kopech hasn't had the buildup to do it. Lance Lynn is a little bit too long on the tooth to do that on a consistent basis. I think he's capable of figuring that out. Gilito's the only one who's got a chance, but that's not been him historically, and Dylan Cease is the same thing, right? They, they just We don't have guys that go deep. We don't have that one guy that's like, throw it on me, I'll take it. If I need to go on two days rest, three days rest, don't worry about me. I'll get us through six innings. I'll get us through seven innings. I'll get you there. And when you don't have a particularly deep team, you need that, and they don't have either of those things because there's nobody coming to the rescue from the minor leagues for this rotation. And and that's where the Guardians have the advantage. Like I said, they've been able to, out of the minor leagues, replace a whole bunch of guys that have – Cal Quantrill's been injured, Tristan McKenzie's been injured, uh, Aaron Savali took some time to, to get started this year because he had an injury coming out of spring training – you know, they had Zach Plesak just completely fall apart and they've been able to patch it in. They just have guys, draft picks that they've had that are ready to come up and ready to take their place. Mixed results, sure, but you don't have that with the White Sox. To get to that level, to make this thing turn around, they either have to offensively start destroying teams. And I mean anybody that gets in their way. Just devastation, laying to waste every arm that they see. There is not a fastball that is safe before their bats. It would have to be something like that. 
or they got to find a way to get better run prevention, and that involves the pitchers being better, the starters going deeper, and the defense getting better. And well, none of those things are are likely to turn around. on the phone line right now the sack nerd is here dave marin uh first half for you i'm not worried about the team we all know how bad it was for the team how was your first half up there doing all the stats and the tidbits and being out at the ballpark dave i love it my i mean you never have to worry about me having a good time i i i'm having a great time i love my work i love my information i love the crew it's all good awesome you know i was out there on friday night that one game that they won against the Cardinals, that was a fun night. That was a great night to see a ball game. And that's what I hold on to, Dave. I look for the good games. Yes, as do I. And uh, the Friday night was, was a lot of fun. That was, that was a great night. And off topic or whatever, you know, if they realign and the Cardinals and the Sox play a lot, I'm all for that because it's very, there's a buzz in that park when the Cardinals are there because they bring a lot of fans it's it's close to like when the Cubs are there it's very cool yeah definitely I enjoyed my interactions with the obnoxious Cardinal fans what do you got for (laughs) us this week Luis Robert Jr. all-star it has a real nice ring to it doesn't it Chris I mean yeah it would have been nice if he played in the game but let's pretend like he did it's gratifying to see a player realize the promise we've all been sold for years Robert is really good and it looks like he's going to be that way for a number of seasons it's easy to see how Robert got to Seattle He is second in the league in homers, and he ranks in the league's top five in a number of categories while playing in elite center field. In addition, Robert's 26 home runs are tied for the third most in Sox history before the break. How about some history? Robert is the first Sox primary center fielder to make the All-Star team since Chester Earl Lemon went in 1978 and 1979. Chet got into both contests with the highlight coming in 79 in Seattle when he became the first Sox player to get hit by a pitch in an all-star game. Later, Lemon coaxed a walk out of the Cubs' Bruce Suter, who went on to win the Cy Young Award, but he was stranded on third as the tying run when Rick Burleson struck out to end it. In addition to Lemon and Robert, other Sox primary center fielders to make the all-star team are Mike Krevich in 1938, Thurman Tucker in 1944, Jim Landis in 1962, and Tommy Agee in 1966. Funny thing, though, Lemon wasn't the last Sox player to appear in center in the Midsummer Classic. In fact, since Lemon, Sox reps Avisail Garcia in 2017 and Scott Posednik in 2005, mainly corner outfielders, appeared in center field in the All-Star game. Fun fact, right field is the only position where the Sox have not had an All-Star starter. Harold Baines, who spent a lot of time in right, started the 1989 Classic for the Sox, but it was at DH. My zinger? Jake Gonzalez isn't the first shortstop the White Sox have taken out of Ole Miss. Did you know that the Sox drafted Archie Manning, a star shortstop at Ole Miss, in 1970 and 1971? Peyton and Eli's dad spurned the Sox and two other teams for the NFL and went on to have a distinguished career quarterbacking mostly for the New Orleans Saints. That's it, Chris. Probably more than you wanted to know about the Sox, the All-Star Game, Mike Krevich, Chet Lemon, and Archie Manning. Uh, today is a milestone, depending on which app that you you listen to Socks in the Basement. 
It, it depends. Honest to goodness. Some apps have us at 499 episodes, uh, but on the website, and the official count is this is the 500th episode of Socks in the Basement. And, uh, you know, we're 500 episodes in and we started this thing when they were at the, like, you know, when the rebuild was like, well, do you think this uh, Daniel Palka could, could be a player? I mean, like, that's where we were at. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We were, we were, we were excited about Danny Palka. It was early 2018 and I had a lot bigger hopes for this team. I, I really think it's got to be a bigger brain trust that's going to be in there. Somebody else has to be in there doing things other than Rick Hahn and, and really Kenny Williams and all these other guys. I don't know what's going to change. I feel like something's changing in the offseason. But the reason I bring up the 500th episode is that I wanted to just say real quickly before we end this show, thank you. Thank you to every single one of you who have listened to this show. Thanks for making it what it is. The listenership on this show is in, incredible. I get people that reach out every month or so who are like, oh, we want to put you on our network or we want to sell advertising for you or we want you to be because the show is that big. And, and you know, you don't get you don't get people knocking on your door if you don't have something that's that's grown into something big. And it only became big because of all of you out there listening. And it only became bigger when my buddy Ed joined me on the show a couple of years ago to 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 make the thing as big as it actually is. So I wanted to say real quick as we end this show, thank you so much. For 500 episodes, there's a reason why I'm not having a party, though, because this isn't the end. We're just getting started, and there's a lot to talk about with this team. And I thank you for sticking with us and listening to Socks in the Basement. 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 Heard everywhere podcasts can be found, and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.